Welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. I'm excited for today's episode as we have on Pete Woodworth, the Seattle Mariners pitching coach, 2022 MLB Coach of the Year. We have a great conversation talking through his background, how we got to this point, as well as talking through the Mariners elite pitching staff, as well as getting into his hobby of shoe collecting with some Jordans. If you'd like to support the Couch GM brand and YouTube channel moving forward, make sure to share this video with a fellow Mariner fan, fellow baseball fan. Make sure to like and subscribe to the channel. We also have some Couch GM merchandise, both football and baseball on the website. Just go to the link in my bio and that'll take you to all of my different links. Another way you can support the brand is via a company I am affiliated with, Glance LED, which is that panel in the back there. It's a sports tracker, a stock tracker, glance-led.com. Go check it out. If you use code COUCHGM, you'll get 10% off and it'll help support the channel. And with that, let's get into the episode. I'm honored today to be joined by Pete Woodworth, who is the pitching coach for the Seattle Mariners, 2022 MLB Coach of the Year. So first off, Pete, really appreciate you uh, taking the time. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So myself, um, I, I grew up as a pitcher. I pitched throughout high school. I still play in adult league baseball and I pitch. So I've always really appreciated what the guys at the major league level can do as far as, you know, manipulating the ball in whichever way they want to. And at the same time, they have the incredible movement that they do. They can throw it a hundred miles an hour. They can command the ball. So really looking forward to this conversation. I want to get into you know, a lot of the behind the scenes with the Mariners, some of the players, but first off, let's learn a little bit more about you and how you got to this point. So can you just walk us through, you know, how you got into baseball? All right. Um, let's travel back in time. Um, shoot. I was, I played a lot of sports growing up, but, um, it was a, around high school where I had to decide, you know, which one is going to be the most, predominant. Uh, and I gravitated towards baseball. Uh, I was a catcher. Um, I also pitched, but, uh, I loved catching. I loved, um, everything that that job had to do. Um, I grew up in Florida, so we were Braves fans for the majority of my, my youth until the Tampa Bay Devil Rays showed up in 98. Um, but I was a big Javi Lopez fan as a kid. Um, really anybody on the Braves, but, um, anyway, uh, high school, um, yeah, I caught a lot and I pitched, you know, once a week. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go to university of South Florida, uh, kind of hometown right over, right across the bridge in Tampa. Um, and I got cut my freshman fall, uh, and headed down I-75 to Fort Myers to Florida Gulf coast. Um, which was kind of a new school at the time, uh, new athletic department, new baseball program, um, only a couple years old, and they were D2 at that time. So I could transfer and, and play immediately. Uh, and I've, I remember talking to their coach. He's like, we only have seven pitchers. Uh, so you're going to pitch. And I was like, all right, that's cool. But like, I'm going to catch. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm good at. Um, I lasted like four days uh, and I walked in and turned my catcher's equipment in uh, and that was kind of it. And it was, it was pitching from then on. Uh, I went and played summer ball in, in lacrosse, Wisconsin for the lacrosse loggers, um, which is kind of where my, my coaching career started. Uh, my manager up there was Andy McKay, 
who you may know, many people um, surrounding the Mariners know. Um, he was the head coach at Sac City Community College. He was a longtime um, coach in, in California and, and would spend his summers coaching college kids up in, in uh, the Northwoods League and uh, immediately gravitated towards him and his coaching style. Um, he, he was talking about the, the mental game of baseball, which I never really heard of before. Um, and he would, he would bring books and read excerpts and give out, give handouts onto the bus, uh, before a 12 hour bus ride, um, for guys to read. Uh, I don't know, man. I just, I, I loved, I loved his vibes. I loved his style. Um, it wasn't all X's and O's. Uh, it was more about training your your brain and your 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 character to go about this uh, impossible journey of of trying to become a big league baseball player. Um, so that was the goal: playing the big leagues. Uh, and Plan B was was to coach. Um, and I loved Florida Gulf Coast. I loved Fort Myers. Uh, so I said, you know, if 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 the big leagues doesn't work out, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back there and coach. Um, and the draft ended in 2010, my senior year and my name wasn't called. So I got in, uh, I got in the car and drove to lacrosse, Wisconsin to be Andy McKay's pitching coach for the lacrosse loggers that summer. Um, and I drove all the way to lacrosse, Wisconsin. And then the Tampa Bay Rays called and said, Hey, you want to come pitch for us this summer in, in the Gulf coast league? Uh, and so I had to turn around and drive all the way back to Florida, uh, and, and tell Andy, uh, I'm sorry, but I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta, how far of a drive was that? I don't know, like 30 hours, man, <laughs> get a new, uh, or fill up the gas tank and head back. Oh yeah. It was, <laughs> I, was I was eating dinner with my host family who I had lived with when I played there and, uh, and they called, it was like six o'clock at night. I had just gotten there. And so I called Andy and I was like, sorry, man, I got to go. And, you know, spent the night there. And then in the morning, just turned around and drove. I just drove to lacrosse, Wisconsin for dinner. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was like falling asleep signing uh, my contract with Tampa Bay. I'll try to speed this up. Um, no, you're good. Played one year with, with Tampa Bay Gulf Coast League. Uh, and... That offseason, um, you know, got released, got the call. Um, and so I was going to play indie ball. I was going to claw my way back to the minor leagues and accomplish my dream of playing in the big leagues. Uh, and the scout that had signed me, Evan Brannon, uh, was a local guy. He went to, he's from St. Pete. I had played uh, baseball with his younger brothers. Um, so I knew him. He was a great dude. Uh, and he was at scout day at Florida Gulf coast that fall. And, and I'm throwing a bullpen or a long toss or I'm doing whatever. I'm at the field. And, uh, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to go play any ball and I'm going to get back and I'm going to pitch in the big league. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, you're going to go play any ball for five, six years, you're going to love it because it's baseball and you're going to have fun and you're just, that's who you are, but you're going to come out of the game at, at 28. You're going to have no money. 
no house, nothing like you're just going to be a little grinder for the next six, seven years. Um, he's like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to coach when I'm done. He's like, we have an opportunity scouting. Um, you'd kind of be like my assistant. You'd help me run the state of Florida and, and uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, you'd get to know all of the people in Florida, coaches, scouts, high school, JUCO, Division One, Division Two. Like you'd start building this network and you'd also just be basically recruiting every day and evaluating talent, um, which is half of the job of a college coach, if, if not more now. Um, and uh, I, I was pissed. I was like, no, nah, man, screw you. I'm, <laughs> I'm making it. Um, now what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the hard truth. Um, and, uh, and I lasted like three weeks in Indie Bowl and, and I got smashed. Um, <laughs> and I, I tucked my tail between my legs and I went back to him and uh, the, the position was still available. Luckily, um, so I scouted for two years with Tampa Bay uh, in the state of Florida. Um, and he was right, man. And he's <laughs> he's been right about a lot of things. He was dead on. Um, I, I met a ton of people. Uh, I learned a lot about evaluating talent. Um, I met a lot of coaches. I met a lot of scouts. So just grew a, a, a network of, of friends and, and brothers here in Florida. Um, which opened up a job at uh, Nova Southeastern, a Division II school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, which Greg Brown uh, was the head coach at the time. He has since moved on to the Rays as a hitting uh, coordinator and then was the Cubs uh, big league hitting coach last year or the year before. Um, but anyway, Brownie, Brownie gave me my first shot at, at Nova um, and then – the pitching coach at Florida Gulf Coast left that next year. Um, and so that was kind of like dream come true, like go back to my alma mater um, and did that for two years. And that's when Andy McKay called. He has since moved on to the Seattle Mariners. He is their farm director probably for like two or three years now in 2016. Um, and he asked if I wanted to, to, to join the Mariners and in, in coach in professional baseball. Uh, and I was extremely excited and I was like, yeah, where do I sign? He's like, you can sign the contract in Clinton, Iowa in four days when you get there. Uh, <laughs> and so I, similar to lacrosse, jumped in my car, drove to Clinton, Iowa, uh, got out of the, the car and realized I made a gigantic mistake <laughs> going to Clinton, <laughs> Iowa. Uh, no, it, it was, it was, uh, uh, the, the best decision I ever made. Um, Clinton, Iowa, you know, people give it a, a hard time, um, because of the, the dog food factory and, uh, the, the visiting clubhouse at, at that time was, was tough, but, uh, I got to meet Mitch Canham and, and Caesar Nicholas and, and Cabby where that was our coaching staff, um, and uh, those those three guys became brothers and uh, Mitch and C's were in my wedding. Like we became uh, extremely close and, and kind of continued and progressed through the minor leagues together. Um, Mitch and I went on to to coach in Modesto for two years. 
and then Little Rock. Um, Mitch got the job at Oregon State. Caesar came in to be the manager after Mitch left. So then Caesar and I got to to coach together again. Uh, and then 2020 was my first year in the big leagues with Seattle. Super excited about my first year in the big leagues. And then uh, COVID hits and Man. <laughs> didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Wow. Uh, a lot of uncertainty there. but um, And then it's just been a, an extremely fun and exciting ride these last four seasons um, with, with a ton of talented guys and uh, a ton of great coaches to, to share an office with and, and have to work with every day. Yeah. That's an awesome story. Ooh. A couple questions off that. First off, was it the same car that drove to Wisconsin <laughs> as it did to uh, Iowa? No. Different car. No, I yeah. I don't think that one made it too much longer yeah. after after Wisconsin. And then um, in your initial transition from being a player to being a pitching coach, what was that transition like for you? Um, Dude, I was like 23 years old and they were like, I had kids that were like two years younger than me. Um, (laughs) It was, I'm not going to lie there. I wasn't too, I don't want to say afraid, but that wasn't that big of a deal for me because I kind of had, like I said, I'd I'd wanted to coach. So I'd always kind of been the kind of the coachy kid on the team, like the, the, you know, make holding guys accountable to being on time. Like I was, I was that guy, um, which Chris sale was not a fan of. Um, He did not like my, my coaching style. (laughs) When we were 19 year old kids. Um, wow. Yeah. But uh, so it wasn't a big deal, you know, moving um, and coaching at, at Nova that, that first season it uh, when I, when I got to Clinton, I was, I was a little hesitant because um, professional players I thought were, you know, elite of the elite. Um, but mm-hmm. it was, Away in the Midwest League, uh, and these kids were, you know, Pablo Lopez was 19 years old. Nick Nider, like they were, they were still children. Um, they were, they were so young in their development that me at 26, like I, I felt like I was Yoda. Uh, yeah, you know, just in the amount of baseball that I'd seen from scouting to, to even coaching in college those three years, like I, um. And then the, kind of the same thing happened when when I made the jump to the big leagues. Because um, every year in the minor leagues, we kind of progressed with the same players. Like we took right. uh, Donnie Walton and Evan White and kind of like all these guys just kind of we we rode that wave together. Um, you know, the Art Warrens. We were, we, I had Matt Festa for six straight years. Like it, <laughs> it wasn't until the jump to the big leagues that, uh, you know, RIP, but – uh, you know, you now you got to coach Marco Gonzalez, who you know has you know veteran status in this. Um, he's been doing this a while. He's he's been to different orgs. He's pitching big games. Pitched you know five six hundred innings in the big leagues. Like it was it was intimidating. Um, but then very very quickly, like it it doesn't matter how many innings they pitched, how old you are, how old they are, like. They want to get better. They want to be the best versions of themselves. Um, and they want you to help them. Right. Uh, 
So it, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, and it, it took a little bit to figure that out, but, uh, that's, that I think has been the biggest eye opening thing. And it, it hits me every year. Um, you think these guys have it figured out. You think that, you know, you watch the, the, the extremely talented things that these guys can do with the baseball, but, um, everyone's still growing. Everyone's still learning. Um, and, and fortunately, like we get to work with guys that are extremely thirsty and, and hungry to, to continue to improve even at the big league level. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, to have the mentality to always want to learn because you don't know what you don't know. And if you could take one piece from what someone has to say, that could be the one thing that turns you know your slider from just being average to a Matt Brash slider or um, being able to command the ball like you've been trying to do. Um, yeah, so that's cool to hear. So yourself as a pitching coach, you know, progressing through the minor leagues, uh, do you have the same staff around you? Um, what, what's the differences between the levels as you go up, um, you know, with what you're doing, are you just trying to look at each person individually and assess what tweaks they might have to make? How does that process look like? What does the day-to-day look like? Uh, that's a great question. And our, our process of developing pitchers, um, has grown uh, tremendously. Uh, we, we look back at, at what we were doing in Clinton in 2016 or Modesto in 17 and 18 shoot, even little rock in 19, like you're in double a, those guys are, are, they're transitioning to the big leagues. They're not going to Tacoma. They're going straight to Seattle. Um, what, what we're able to do now and and what, <laughs> what I was messing up back then, um, uh, is, is night and day. Um, but the, the first part, the, the different levels, um, you know, you, until you get to double a, there is a, a, it is a lot more individualized. It's a lot more of building, building the foundation, building the stuff, building the machine, um, building the engine, uh, especially in the game now, like it's, it's tough to get to the big leagues without stuff, without velo. Um, so majority of our, of our lower levels, it's just keeping them on path to building the, the, the best stuff that they can, um, and then kind of once you've gotten an, enough stuff um, and and really once they make that transition, I feel like double A is that transition. But again, like it's been four or five years since I've, I've seen that competition. Um, that's when it is more of, of honing in your stuff and learning how to pitch, learning how to use your stuff, where to locate it. Um, hitters in double A are, are becoming um, very close to what major league hitters are going to tell you. Um, that's, that's when I felt that the competition level made a big jump from, from high A to double A. Um, you see a lot of prospects in, in high A, uh, but they're, they're young, they're raw. They have, they have some, some holes, um, guys start becoming men in double A. Um, it, it, it's starting to emulate a little bit more of, of major league baseball and kind of just rolling right with when you know your progression you were the modesto nuts coach 2017 2018 travelers in 2019 
during your time with the travelers was when Logan Gilbert was coming through and he made the stop with the travelers there. Um, what was your first impression of, of Gilbert and his progression throughout that level? Oof, yeah. Um, I feel like Gilbert and Cal both kind of showed up at the same time, um, kind of the second half of the second half. Uh, Logan started the year in, in Loway, which was West Virginia at that time, uh, and then pitched a ton in Modesto. Cal caught and hit like 8,000 homers in Modesto. <laughs> uh, and and the Cal League is tough the, uh, on – it's it's really their 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 first full season, um, and it's especially coming from Florida, like it's a different hot. It is yeah, it is hair dryer following you around hot, <laughs> uh, and so those guys once they got to the Texas League, which is that humid, dense heat, uh, they were worn out, man. Uh, and I I don't think either one of them would would shy away from that answer. Um, they were a little smoked once they got to, to little rock. So I don't, we didn't see the best versions of those guys then, but you saw flashes. Um, biggest thing of my intro to Logan Gilbert was his, his work ethic and his <sighs> unyielding. It didn't matter if it was 120, he was going to be in the bullpen doing his drill sets. Um, and it wasn't five or six drills. Like this was a 25, 30 minute focus session. Um, it was the first time I'd seen that in, in my coaching career. You know, you always see the guy on the other, other mound, um, you know, doing towel drills or, or, you know, doing dry drills. And you're like, man, that guy, that guy's working his tail off. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Logan Gilbert, like wiped, his butt with those kids. It was, it, it was, it was impressive to see, um, to see what, what he had already kind of solidified as, as a routine. Um, and again, like it didn't matter rain or shine 120. Like he was, he was sticking to his, his process. Um, and then the games would come and his fastball was absolutely electric and mowing down, uh, you know, double A hitters. Um, he didn't have much other than that fastball, but you know, for for four or five, six innings uh, once a week, it was it was fun to watch him absolutely blow doors. When you're releasing the ball thirty feet from home play, that kind of helps. <laughs> and 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 with that, also, can you talk to the, the the difference that the extension to home plate makes in you know someone like Gilbert versus someone who releases the ball closer to the, to the mound. Gilbert's throwing 97. Does that look like a hundred to the batter compared to someone that's throwing 97, you know, further back? What's that look like? Yeah. That, that 97 has two, three less feet to get on you. You know, if the normal guy's got a six foot extension, you know, he's releasing the ball 54 feet from home plate Gilbert's releasing it at 51, like 52. He's got an extra two feet wow. less that the ball travels. Um, which, like, like anything, if you practice, like you can you can start to time that up. Um, but the the first couple months of him in the big leagues, like you could just 
you see the the swings and the looks on guys' faces, like, man, that's different. Like that. How did that get by me? Top of you. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw it with with Bryce Miller, um, his first month. Like that is just a unique fastball that um, even like third time through, poor Ryan Noda with the ace, like just getting <laughs> doors blown. Um, it's a different heater and, and that's Logan's extension. Um, and at that time he had, he had the 20 inches of ride, like he had uh, an overpowering fastball. Um, and it was, it was fun, especially that, that first month of the big leagues. So then you get up to the major leagues and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, COVID hit, there was that whole season. What was your first experience? Maybe not. Um, with COVID, maybe in 2021, um, let's start with 2020. What, what was your first experience like being a big league pitching coach? Was that eye-opening? You talked about seeing Marco Gonzalez for the first time and the, just the experience gap there. Yeah. Um, the good thing was uh, when when Mel Stottlemyre was there, um, I was Mitch and I would come up at the end of the season uh, for like the last homestand. Um, so I had, I'd been to T-Mobile, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been around big league players, um, in spring training, you get, you get to work spring training camps. So like I, I knew Marco, um, I thought fairly well, um, a handful of guys, but then like we acquire, um, Taiwan Walker, um, they had gotten you say the year before, like you start looking around, you're like, man, we got a this is a this is a pretty good staff here. Um Kendall Graveman was was awesome. Uh I I was fortunate to have like really good people my first year that um I don't know, didn't they made the job really easy in an easy transition. Um the COVID thing happened and, and that was tough, but it, it happened to everybody. Like it, right. everybody had to, to learn and adjust. Um, when we came back, like we, it was just such a good group for, for a first year. It's the first year for me. Um, there was a handful of us that it was kind of our, our first, our first bout in, in the big leagues. Um, and so it was just a, a good group to, to kind of get our feet wet with, um, and that was really the first big year of, of the rebuild to where yeah. some of these guys that the Mariners had acquired were starting to, yeah, things yep. were starting to trend upwards. And then we make the trade, you know, with the Padres and get the, the Ty France, Tramiel, uh, Luis right. Terrell, one of my favorites, uh, and uh, Andy Mooney. Um, yeah, that was kind of the, the start of the, the transition. And I, I didn't even realize, like, we were only, like, a couple games out of it in 20. It was a weird, small short, season. Short season, season anything can happen. Like, we were looking up at the end. We're like, dang, we're only, like, three out. <laughs> and then, you know, in a separate trade, you get Matt Brash from the Padres also. Um, yeah, so walk us through 2021. You know, uh, Logan Gilbert only made one start in AAA that year. He, he – uh, made his debut that year. What, what was that experience like seeing him, you know, in double a compared to making his debut in the big leagues? Yeah. Um, I, I think majority of the time Logan was in the minor leagues. It was, uh, 
developing the secondaries and, and working on, on whatever he can to, to develop those. Um, and he, uh, again, like he didn't have much time, man. Like he had one full season. Um, mm-hmm. And then COVID year, like, again, it happened to everybody. So um, you had the, the alternate site to, to work on some things and do that. But um, it was just a, a, a never ending um, development of the secondaries and, and trying to, that year 21 was more of, of, okay, you've built all these shapes um, and on paper, good pitches. Like you had a sweeper with, you know, a bunch of horizontal, you had a change up that he side spin with a bunch of horizontal. You had this big slow curveball with depth. Um, so really you had like this, this compass of, of movement. Um, but he didn't, he didn't have really command or control of it. So it, it was about harnessing those pitches. Um, and I mean, if we could just stay on the Logan Gilbert thing, like it was by the end of the year, it, it got better, but, um, for him to make, create those shapes, he had to change his slot, um, to sweep it, to side spin it. Like, so he was fighting different, not different deliveries, but different thoughts, different cues, um, and different slots, which is, it's not easy. Uh, guys do it. Guys have that athletic ability, have the, the ability to just kind of manipulate and change and, and anamorph. Um, Otani's a, a freak, but you see like eight different slider shapes from that guy every night. Um, yeah. So like, it, but it was, it wasn't consistent for Logan. So 22 was, was more of, of bringing his shapes and his stuff more towards his fastball release and getting everything a little bit more tighter north south, not trying to achieve all these gigantic shapes, um, and got a little bit more into pitching and, and, using more than one pitch to pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that was 22, 23, the off season last year is uh, when he worked on the split. Right. Um, and kind of took all of 22 to find this bullet slider grip. Um, and I think it was like the last couple weeks of the season found one that worked and was consistent that he could throw hard and just throw it right down the middle and let it work. Um, he's tough cause he's got giant hands. So like <laughs> most normal grips that, that guys use that you've demoed in the past, like it just doesn't really work cause his hand is so different. Uh, right. his release is different. Like we do a lot of, of grip adjustments, but like everybody's release is, is completely different and everybody goes about through ball release completely different. So um, anyways, Logan worked this past off season on the split. Um, and that was a huge pitch from this year. I thought the slider got extremely consistent. Um, and that's kind of been the, the, the journey of, of Gilbert. So he's, you know, debuts with one big fastball, um, starts kind of figuring out how his stuff works, starts consistently throwing ideal shapes of, of his arsenal 
and then can start adding pieces like the split this last year. Um, and who knows what we're going to see in 2024. Yeah. Um, so 2022 was basically the year of the two seam fastball to where everyone, you know, mid season, George Kirby breaks out a two seam and is starting to front door Shohei Otani. And he's just able to paint the zone like no other. Um, 2023 was the year of the splitter in the off season. As you mentioned, you know, Robbie came into camp with a splitter Logan. There was rumors that Kirby was having a splitter. Um, I guess first off, how, how do you assess, walk me through the behind the scenes of you're trying to assess someone's initial pitch arsenal, and then you're trying to figure out, you know, what additional pitch might be able to help with what they have. What does the behind the, behind the scenes look like for that? Uh, well, it used to be just guesswork and opinion, um, used to be what, uh, the hitters were telling us, um, we, uh, and I got to give our, our analytics group, uh, a, a huge round of applause. Like we, we have the ability now to analyze release movement via every metric of, basically every pitch thrown um, to just have a better idea of, okay, this guy cuts his fastball similar to this guy. Um, they have similar release profiles or similar height. It's around the same velo. This is a really good comp, um, but this guy uses, well, we'll just call it the, what are they calling it? The death ball, the like, negative eight zero curveball slider thing whatever it may be um alex lang the dude for the for the tigers like he's very similar to this guy but he has this pitch maybe this guy can use that pitch as well um, yeah. because that's so similar in these other characteristics um so that's kind of where we've we've taken the guesswork out of it um there is still you know there's still experimentation there's still guesswork there's still guys that just see someone throw a pitch and they're like, Hey, I want to do that. I want to try that. Yeah. Does he hold it? How do you, how would you throw this? Like, can I work on that? Um, and the answer is usually always yes. Like, why not? Um, you never know what you you're, you're going to get uh, unless you, <laughs> you try it, um, mess around and find out. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, our, our analytics group has, has taken huge strides in us eliminating uh guesswork and, and mistakes and kind of identifying like hey kirby kirby could throw a pretty sick cutter um based on how his how he moves how his release is like and it would help this and it would open this pitch up and all that jazz so um it's not just trent blank and i just throwing stuff against the wall all the time yeah and i see you guys out there i mean yeah, every team has it now to where they're able to see the the spin rate of balls, all these different metrics that you mentioned. Um, so does someone throw a pitch? You see the numbers for that. You type that into a, a software or something like that, and it tells you, hey, these other pitchers have similar characteristics throughout the league. Or is that an eye test type thing where you people just know different guys and how, how they're, they're similar, and then you go from there? So I'm, I'm curious if it's like more computer or if it's more just visual eye test. It's, def it's definitely more computer. Okay. Um, I'm sure there are, <laughs> shoot. Uh, 
I'll bring back old Evan Brannon, the scout that signed me. Uh, he said uh, he was the human track man before track man existed. Yeah. Uh, he saw guys that had uh, like the, the 20 plus inches of ride. Uh, he was like, I knew what that was before track man. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could definitely use your eyes, but uh, there's track man and Hawkeye in, in every ballpark and now almost every minor league ballpark. Um so the database is is growing and is gigantic and getting even larger um, every day, every every game that's that's played. Um, so again, it it takes out the the guesswork to to just use it. the the data that that everybody is shown um, and to have someone smart enough to make an algorithm to uh, be able to <laughs> to. <laughs> move a couple bars around and, and find the comparisons between uh, Bryce Miller and Logan Gilbert. Yeah. Now getting into uh, George Kirby a little bit. So, you know, he's drafted first round in 2019. You're in the Mariner system at the time. At, at what point are you starting to hear about this guy and seeing what he does? 107 strikeouts, his six walks at his senior year or his last year in college at Elon. The guy has absolutely elite command. What, what were, and then there was also articles, you know, coming out after the draft, he was the command guy. And then there was our ar uh, articles when he was on the travelers that he hit like one one with a fastball. It's like, hold on, this guy might not just be a command guy, but he might be a power pitcher too. What, what was your experience seeing him? Oof. Um, so the, the whole dominate the zone thing originated 2016 I want to say was was year one and that was year one when I jumped on in, in Clinton and that's what they told me they said I hey, like OOs just win the OOs here's some information of why that's important uh, and every year just got more and more detailed and just kind of dove more and more into it and you're watching these games day in and day out and you're like this is this is the game if you just get into better counts you win more at bats. If you win more at bats, you win that game. If you do that consistently, you win more games than the other teams. And that means you win the league. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just became like extremely apparent. Like this is the key to, this is the, the, the X's and O's and the strategy of, of how to move the ball closer and closer to the goal line um, without skill. Like anybody can do it. Um and so you saw guys in, in Clinton like have career years, even though they don't have good stuff or Modesto or, or Little Rock, just by by doing that. Um, and every year we got more and more detail. Then it was OOs and one ones, and then it was OOs one ones, and now might as well we got to two strikes. Let's punch some tickets. Mm -hmm. um, and then we draft George Kirby, and I'm <laughs> like, holy cow. <laughs> This is the uh, definition of dominate the zone. <laughs> yeah, like this guy was built in a DTZ lab. Like yeah. he is Indominus Rex. Like this is uh, the holy grail of, of, of strike throwing. Um, and then, yeah, then, you know, coming from Elon, you just thought this was a, a command guy. Then you meet the kid and he's not little. Um, he's, <laughs> He was skinny at the time, but like, so was Logan. Like these guys are six, five, six, six. Um, they're big dudes. And then all of a sudden he starts pumping hundreds. Um, 
and you're like, holy cow, like he is painting with a hundred. Like this is Jacob de Grom. This is, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't even the, like, that doesn't even touch what George Kirby um, has been able to do. What, uh, again, fortunate to, to be able to, to play catch and watch what this guy can do every day. Um, how far he's come, what he's been able to develop. Um, you mentioned the two seam, like this was Robbie throwing a, a usual Robbie Ray pin of, of grunting cable heaters <laughs> at the absolute top of the zone and throwing like three sliders strike to ball under um, and started throwing this two seam. And he literally, George was like, hey, how do you hold that? And he was like, like this? He's like, oh, okay. Picked up his leg, threw one, and it it took off like 18 inches of horizontal. <laughs> what? That might be useful. Can you do that again? Yep. That was the the bullpen. And in two days, he threw it in the game. Like, no hesitation. Just, yeah, screw it. I'll throw it to Vladdy with, with a runner at third and no outs. Break his bat. Like, sure, why not? <laughs> I've done this before. Yeah. Extremely gifted um, stuff with command. It's it's super rare in this game. Um, and, the, again, let's not forget that this, he's still a kid. Like, he's – He's very, very young in, in his journey. Um, he's got a lot of baseball left to play, and he's got a lot of development left, which is scary because he is already one of the best pitchers in the game. Yeah, really command is a superpower because if you have that, you can pretty much do whatever you want. If you could put a ball that can move however you want it to in whichever you know spot in the zone you want to, um, that's just incredible. And, and like dominate the zone, it's kind of like playing chess when other people are playing checkers. If you know, if you just get this first pitch over to start the at bat, your success rate is going to be so much higher. It makes sense to, to really push that. Um, and then, so going from uh, Kirby, Robbie Ray is signed in the 2021 off season. Can you speak to the, the, uh, the help that Robbie has been to some of those younger guys when he comes into the clubhouse with this experience, he's coming off of a Cy Young year. What, what does that like when, when uh, Robbie comes in? Yeah. Um, again, like Marco was, was extremely important for, for the Justin Dunn's and the justice Sheffield's Nick Mark Gab, like the handful of young guys just kind of that cycled. Like Marco was the consistent and um, that's what Marco was. Like he, he, went out there every fifth day and was extremely consistent. Um, Taiwan brought Taiwan and Grayman brought a lot of leadership um, those years uh, for those young guys, but they were also still kind of young. They were battling some injuries. Um, but then you throw a guy who just won the Cy Young and you bring that guy in. Um, yeah, it, uh, it definitely turned some heads. And especially when the guy's first day, He's throwing a bullpen in jean shorts, like <laughs> screaming, grunting. Um, the entire camp is is gathered around watching this guy 
it was a it was a it was a pretty cool first day. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, for him to come in and do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but American flag cut off. Yeah. Oh yeah, July 4th. He had the cape. <laughs> he had it all. Um, That's amazing. It, extreme um uh, extreme clubhouse personality um even even this year when when not you know actually pitching in games just his presence in the clubhouse um and what he brings uh is extremely invaluable um but when he was here what a a, a huge resource for our guys um i think i think that's what uh what some of our guys missed the most this year. Um, again, he was around when he could, but, um, you know, George and, and Logan definitely benefited from, from getting to, to spend every day with that guy, but then getting to watch him compete every fifth day. Uh, and you're talking about a guy who again is, is walking around the clubhouse in jorts and cowboy boots and nothing else. Um, <laughs> you know, has fun with every single person, you know, in, in the organization. But uh, when it's his day, like he is there to fuck shit up. Like he (laughs) knows how to flip that switch and, um, and compete his balls off on, on start day, Uh, which like you saw that from like mean, angry Kirby this year. Like you saw Gilbert, the emotion that he brings. Um, so a, a lot of Robbie Ray's leadership has, has been trickling down. Um, and then Logan and, and George kind of having to step up and, and, and lead the, the woo and, and Bryce Miller and Emerson Hancock's this year. So it's all kind of trickling down. Yeah. And then, yeah, let, let's speak to uh, Bryce Miller, and Brian Wu. They come up this year and, you know, they perform right away. Bryce Miller has a stellar debut. He comes in with that fastball that plays up due to the spin rate, to the spin efficiency. If you want to talk to that fastball, you know, to the average fan, what that means and why it plays up. And then, yeah, speak to Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, this, their rookie seasons and the contributions that they made. For sure. Uh, Bryce Miller, one of the most, uh, most developed guys this season, I, I mean that that dude came in with one pitch and he left with like fourteen. Um, <laughs> Bryce Miller's fastball—it's um, like a Lamborghini engine. Like it just—it's—it's it's a better engine than you know the uh, uh, Toyota Corolla, which is not the average. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a bigger, better engine, um, and. Unlike Gilbert Kirby, like not a super tall guy, um, throws from like over top, but it's it's kind of like a low release, so it has like this kind of upshoot, um, flat vertical approach angle. Um, so where most guys like tall guys, it's kind of coming downhill. He kind of throws his flat, and um, you know, with that that high spin um, and ride to it when he throws it up in the zone, it just kind of takes off up there. Um, couple that with 96 to hundred, you have a really good fastball. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that he just chucks it down the middle, man, like I'm just going to chuck it at you. 
he's not trying to be cute. He's not afraid. Um, he'll give up, you know, his fair share of homers because of that. But, um, you know, check any any Cy Youngs, any years like power pitchers give up solo homers because they challenge guys. Um, and he definitely took on the challenge. Um, yeah. Similar to Logan, uh, similar to most guys coming up from the minor leagues, like they have a weapon um, and you're just trying to build everything around that. He's got the big fastball uh, and the secondary stuff. Uh, we've, we spent all season, you know, tweaking and adjusting and evolving and, and experimenting um, and unleashing again. Like it's going to take, um, I, it's going to take forever. You know, you, you see, Sonny Gray is nowhere near the same guy that he was when he debuted in his first mm-hmm. two years. Like the, the, the good pitchers in this game continue to evolve. Um, Bryce Miller evolved a ton this year. Uh, and the, again, the, the trust that, that he and Brian put into to Trent and Vody and I um, trying any suggestions that we have sticking to what, is simple and, and keeps them successful every five days while also tinkering and, and experimenting with some things is not easy. Um, you got a ton of distractions. You got a ton of pressures. You got a ton of people uh, watching you talking about you for the first time in your life. Uh, and there are 50,000 people watching you every night and then millions on TV. Uh, and you're trying to learn a new pitch in between every start. Uh, it's not easy. Like I, what those guys were able to do uh, wasn't incredible. Um, I'm extremely proud of, of how they were able to balance that development and compete. Um, Brian Wu, even lower release, like his balls coming out of, out of the sprinkler head, which we used to joke around with Seawald, like, Seawald only threw like 92, but it came out of the sprinkler and just like went straight uphill. Guys just don't right. see that. You don't practice that. Like BP is thrown right here. It's machines are, you know, you don't really set up machines three feet over towards third base and then shoot it uphill. Like it's just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Wu, after learning what we learned last year with the two fastballs, which I got a shout out to our hitting coaches, Jarrett DeHart and Tony Arnrich. Um, we were, we all lived together and I'd watch them uh, game plan for the next night starter or at the beginning of the series, you know, watching all of their relievers going through all the like game planning for these pitchers. And, uh, and we'd be sitting there at night and one of them would be like, ah, shit, this guy's got two fastballs. <laughs> Why is why why are you so upset? He's like, well, he cables four seams like away, but then he also threw a two seam like in off. Like you can't cover both of those. And it was like light bulb. Um, yeah, there's always been two fastballs, and there's always the guys have thrown fours, guys have thrown twos. Like it's always existed, but it wasn't until I saw like how frustrated those guys would get when guys had two fastballs and used them appropriately. Um, and then you watch the game the next night and you're like, man, that guy just got torn up by a guy with two fastballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Robbie started, um, you know, George jumped on 
a handful of guys started doing it this year. Everybody in our pin, in our pin even had two fastballs. Um, everybody but Logan had two heaters. Um, but so we kind of tried to instill that um, in spring training, trying to see guys that had had a profile that could throw two fastballs. Brian Wu was one of those, um, and so he spent uh, a little bit of time in in Double A throwing uh, a, a two seam. He was dominating people with his four seam, so it was like, why throw this other fastball that I don't know may not be good. Um, mm-hmm. But man, he was he was so quick to to understand how to use both those two fastballs, and um, again, similar to Bryce, like it was just constantly trying to work on the the breaking balls, the changeups, the secondary pitches. But when it was game time, like it was just unleashing these two fastballs um, that are completely different. That are again like mid to upper nineties just going in different directions at different parts of the zone. Um, it was fun to watch. Uh, there was a handful of Brian Wu starts that were, that were uh, ridiculous how he used those two. Um, and again, like first time seeing it, it's low, it's low slot. It's upshoot. It's 95, 96 and two fastballs are going two different directions. Uh, it was fun to watch kind of the looks on guys faces when, when he unleashed those. Yeah, I saw a uh, a image on uh, baseball or MLB Network last year showing the the Mariners pitching staff and how it's so unique. The starting rotation, you know, you got Bryce Miller, uh, Logan Gilbert, that the release is over the top, and then it kind of works its way down to like Brian Wu and Luis Castillo, to where you're seeing a different arm slot, a different arsenal, a different pitching style from each guy that you're facing, no matter which night you're going against the Mariners, which makes just that. Uh, you know, differentiation makes things that much harder on, on opposing ball clubs when they come into town. For sure. I could ask, I could talk, you know, all day about this stuff and, uh, but want to be respectful of your time. I want to, uh, 10 more if you need it. Okay. So, I mean, we haven't talked about Luis Castillo. Do you want to talk about Luis briefly? You know, we acquire him in that trade, sign him to an extension. I mean, you get a, an ace out of that and what does that addition make to your ball club um well that we acquired him on my birthday so uh i've joked happy birthday (laughs) birthday present i've ever gotten uh uh, it it feels like louis has been here a long time like uh he and i immediately hit it off but that's gotta be the easiest guy to like in the game um Everybody, even umpires like him, and umpires don't really like anybody. Um, <laughs> no, there's Louis. Louis is a tough one to talk about because he's 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 so easy. He's always the same guy. It's like it's like Gino. Like they're always mm-hmm. just happy, good vibes, good people to be around. Luis Castillo doesn't have a bad day. Mm. He's had some bad starts and, and those are frustrating, but the next day you see him and it's like, it's, it's over. Uh, And that's really hard to do in this game. Um, And that's why that's what makes good teams good. And what makes good players really good uh, 
to do that every day for 162 is so tough to to wash yesterday's ABs or to to wash last night's blown save and and have the stones to to get back after it today and go back out there and 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 you know live to fight another day. Um, Louis extremely easy to coach. Everything that that we've thrown at him, he he gobbles up and and executes. Um, again, like these other guys, he's thirsty. He wants, he wants to be the best. He wants to win a Cy Young. He wants to, to, to be better. Um, you know, he's watching these young guys develop and do all this cool stuff and try these new pitches and he's got splits and he's got a cutter and he's trying this. Um, and he was like, do I need something? (laughs) Like, (laughs) not yet, man. Like you have, (laughs) you have four of the most ridiculous pitches in the game, like uh, continue on, on your path, continue honing and using those uh, appropriately. Um, yeah. I, I wish there was, there was more to talk about, about La Piedra. It, it's, it's yeah. Like it's just too easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that four seam at the top of the zone coming from that low slot, and then you have that devastating change up. You got the the sweeping slider and then also that two seam. I mean, just keep pounding the zone with, with what you got and upper nineties. That's all you need. Similar to, to woo, like his four seam is it, it continues to just destroy people. You're, you're constantly thinking about the slider, the change up or the two seam, but like his four seam from that low slot kind of crossfire up shoot, it's unique. It's different. Um, again, guys don't see that. Guys don't practice it. Yeah. Unicorn fastballs. Absolutely. Shifting a bit from, uh, you know, these individual players to overall mindset training. You know, it's tough for a pitcher to, to have a down day for certain guys. Um, I remember back in high school playing, we went through visualization drills and really honing in the mental aspect what does the the mental preparation look like if there is a specific you know mental preparation to where you guys take a day or a certain time to to visualize or to do certain things to get ready for that next start the next week yeah um i think everybody has their own routine there isn't um because i did that same thing in college like all right we're gonna lay down we're gonna visualize (laughs) turn off the lights yeah, we're going to sit in this classroom. You guys are going to journal like it. Everybody goes about it a different way. And and how I did it, like one of 15 guys would prefer to do it the same way that I did. Mm-hmm. So um, I learned not to to kind of cookie cutter it and, and force feed it to everybody. Um, but we do have mental skills coaches. Um, Adam Bernero is our major league mental skills coach that um, works with the majority of these guys daily. Um, something that Byrne does that, that guys really gravitate to is, is, uh, just going on, on walks once they get to the field. Um, so you'll see like guys barefoot walking around the field. Yeah. Grounding. Yeah. You get grounded. Um, you, you talk about some things, um, Byrne always has like, you know, some, some nugget for you. Um, but whether it's it's journaling quietly, whether it's you know meditation, 
um, whether it's getting grounded, walking around, finding your spot at the ballpark. Um, everybody has their own different kind of routine of, of how they get mentally prepared. Um, I, I do think it's, it's unique for, for starting pitchers because you have to go to work every day and you have to be mentally prepared. And um, there's, there's so much on your plate daily, but every fifth or sixth day, it's a little different and uh, you're mentally preparing for something um, a little bit different than just going to the office and getting some work in and throwing a bullpen or right. have you. Um, so their, their ability to, um, to have that consistent routine of being the same person and, and keeping everything balanced um, and then being able to kind of uh, flip on on start days and then flip off after start – it's not an easy task, uh, you know. It's it's just like the NBA, every couple of days, NHL. You know, football players only have to do it once a week, but mm-hmm. um, it's unique. Um, and again, everybody kind of has their own routine. Uh, I just see <laughs> the the barefoot walking is is uh, is the newest uh, the newest trend that's been going around. Yeah, I would see Tom Murphy quite frequently out there barefoot walking around four games with headphones in. Um, one more baseball question, and then I got to hear about your uh, Jordan collection and how that all started. Um, so, and, then, and this is a question that I've asked every pitcher that I've interviewed up there on the sidelines is, what does your weekly routine look like for a pitcher? Because, I mean, you're going all out for one day. You're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. How many days are you throwing a bullpen? You know, how many days are you lifting, um, doing those various other things versus just full, uh, you know, a full rest day, letting your body, body recover. You're asking me what mine is. No, I I guess it's like, if there's a standard routine to where it's like, Hey, you're, you're throwing a bullpen the second day after your start, you're taking a day off the immediate day after, you know, what that looks like for a major leaguer. Also, if you have a routine that works too. (laughs) Um, I need to find an off day during the season. Um, <laughs> ideally, uh, you, you have you. All right. So if we have start start day bullpen and then other start day, uh, those are kind of your high intensity days. So high volume, high intensity. Um, so you kind of want to ramp up into your next start. So. That's where we like guys throwing their side more on day three. So you throw your start. Day one is a recovery day. Um, Robbie was big on I'm not even picking up a baseball the day after. Um, And Logan started to see that and George started to see that. And shoot, even I started to see that. I was like, man, I I always thought like, man, you need to to get your arm moving, you need to throw a little bit. It's, it's a low intensity, low volume day, but um, again, everybody's different. Um, But that the, the day one is a, is a low intensity, low volume recovery could even be no throw day. Uh, And then you just kind of start building and ramping up into that next start. So those next three, three days, um, 
you're increasing that intensity getting into your start. That's why I like the bullpen more day three. Um, so you get two days to kind of rest and recover, build up into the bullpen um, day before. Yeah, you're not going balls to the wall, but again, you're 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 building up into that next start instead of kind of like day off bullpen day off. Yeah, it's a little Makes bit sense. more distant. Awesome. And then last question, get you out of here. I know you're a bit of a, a sneakerhead. We see you in Jordans quite frequently. Um, how did that all start? You know, how many pairs of shoes do you have? And are there, is there uh, anyone else on the team that that is emulating what you do? Yeah, it's starting to to go around now. I saw shoot uh, Tori Lavella was wearing threes in uh, in the World Series. I'm like, man, um, I gotta I gotta find a different a different shoe company to wear. Uh, it started in in 2020, my first year. Uh, Caesar Nicholas said, "Hey man, you gotta you gotta wear Jordan ones for year one." And I was like, "Yeah, I can't wear Jordan ones. I got <laughs> I've been wearing the same Flyknit Nike trainers for the last four years. Like I it, I wasn't a shoe guy. Um, I don't know. I my feet stink, so like I didn't spend money on shoes because uh, they were just gonna get stinky." Um, so I got the a, a pair of Obsidian Jordan One mids, uh, navy and and white, um, and then that turned into two, and then that turned into three, uh, and it just started to grow. Taiwan and Kyle Lewis were Jordan athletes at the time, um, and they were they were nice enough to give me uh, a pair of their turfs from that year, which happened to be Jordan Ones. Um, the Kyle Lewis, like white and teals. And then mm -hmm. got him right here. There we go. Kalu's. Nice. And then Clean. the ones for Sundays. Awesome. Uh, and yeah. And then I became extremely addicted to. <laughs> and then I went. How many, how many pairs do you have to keep up in Seattle? You know, it'd probably be a burden to carry those across the country. I, um, I'm not gonna lie. I, I take them back and forth every year. Uh, okay. A couple of suitcases. It is, it is a lot of suitcases. <laughs> it is, uh, it's not easy, but, um, JD, our, our hitting coach, um, had, had always kind of been a sneaker head, but not necessarily, you know, to wear on field. He's kind of had like nice, um, you know, he had some off whites. He had, Travis Scott's like he had he had some good ones, not ones that you would wear <laughs> in the clay. Um, yeah. And so I started just you know collecting them. I get a bunch used uh, on eBay, um, just anywhere I could find them for for cheaper, knowing that I'm going to wear them and get them dirty and mess them up. Um, and we kind of wear the same size, so then we started combining ours and then tony arner was like hey guys i want to i want to wear them too and all right well, <laughs> you have to bring some in to to join um so then like we had this conglomerate of of three guys just kind of wearing each other's shoes which sounds weird now that i say it out loud um and then christopher negron was like hey i got a bunch of shoes <laughs> so uh, our locker room our coaches clubhouse is just 
uh, like so you guys switched through shoes i was thinking maybe if someone's doing a purchase on ebay for one shoe you buy three pairs but it's more so hey here's the jordan locker take whatever you want <laughs> it's pretty much what it's been the last couple of years um yeah except negron has tiny feet so we can't fit into <laughs> so he's not really part of the team but um okay. he has a good collection shoot then steven vote came in and he had fire on his feet um his wife played basketball, uh, so she'd always kind of been a sneakerhead. Um, but they have three kids, older daughter, and then two two younger boys, and they do like the family. Like they all get a pair of the same sneaker, and it's so <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Yeah, hopefully one day I'll do that. But um yeah, everyone, everyone's doing it now, so I think I'm going to switch off. Um, I don't know if I'll sell the Jordans, but uh, <laughs> we'll keep them in the locker, and I may – I don't know. We'll, they make good stories too. Yeah. Um, I've gifted a ton. Um, we do a, a raffle, a ticket raffle every month for strikeouts. Guys get tickets, and one of the prizes is Jordans. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good gift. Kirby was on him for a little bit. Uh, Dominic Canzone has some pretty good heat. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it's an expensive hobby, but like I said, I think I'm going to switch to like K-Swiss or Skechers this year. There you go. Maybe get a little sponsorship going. <laughs> well, uh, Pete, really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, like I said, I could talk for another few hours maybe we'll get you on at, at another point sometime but hope you enjoy the rest of your off season and uh thank you again for your time yeah thank you man